0: Sthapakaya ca dharmasya sarva dharma swarupne Avatara varishthaya Ramakrishnayate namaha Vasudeva sutam devam kansachanuramardhanam Devaki paramanandam krishnam vande jagatguram So in the last class we were studying the 49th sloka of the second chapter of Srimad Bhagavad Gita, where we found that the idea that the actions done with the hankering of result is far, far inferior than the yoga done with the tranquility of mind, which is possible only when we are not hankering for the results. Durena karma, buddhi yogaat so in that, in this sloka, the word Kripana, which we found, was the significant word. The Kripana means the one who is miserly. So why is such a person who is hankering after the results of his action has been called a miserly? Because from the spiritual sense, the potentiality, to remain equipoised, tranquil in all the moments of life is possible. As a human being, we can develop that orientation, that attitude, where my body mind complex goes on working as per the duties and responsibilities of life are concerned. But I can keep my witness self as if apart from it just observing that my body-mind complex is going through all those activities as per the situation, the circumstances needs. But I am something apart from it. I am not a part of it. I'm just observing. The eternal soul is always at equipoise. I am one with it. All the disturbances are just the fringes, just on the shore, just in the deep ocean. If you go, the ocean is calm. As you come to the shore, you can see the waves. So it's all the turbulence, is just on the shore of our existence, deep within, in the core of our being, it's always calm. The more I can be attuned to that, the more I don't get identified with just the superficial, the surface level of my existence, the more I can go dive deep within, the more I can enjoy the equipoise. And as a human being, we have that faculty. We can develop that faculty of remaining identified with ourself when the work is going on. I need not have to be identified with it. So this, as we don't try to realize this potentiality to remain calm and equipoise and enjoy the tranquility of soul, even when the actions are going on, that we can enjoy the contemplation even in the world of action. That potentiality as we never try to realize because of our distorted orientation, orientation, Wrong orientation, which is based on ignorance. The orientation of always hankering the results of our action, which we never get, which is always eluding as we have described in the previous looker. that The nature is not planned in any way to really give us the enjoyment, which comes out of the, all the actions as a result of fulfilling the desires. We will find that it's never possible The nature of the universe is such that it gives, the happiness is there just to provoke me, to lure me, to do something with which the nature is sustained. It's in no way going to give us eternal peace. We are in a hedonistic treadmill where we are trying to achieve the highest fulfillment of life through all our worldly pursuits, but we find we are always in the same place. We are always dissatisfied. You never get satisfaction and it's never possible. So as it is not possible, stop that chase and be established in yourself and just witness how the psychophysical existence, guna, guneshu vartante. In the Bhagavad Gita, later, this idea will come that all the gunas, which constitutes the external world that interacts with the gunas of which I am constituted. And that's how it's just the biology, the chemistry of it, which is going on, which has nothing to do with the real me. So unless I try to realize that I am a kripana, I'm a miserly person. So that was the idea, which was being described in the 49th sloka. So now we will proceed to the Fiftieth sloka. What it is saying? There's a buddhi yukta jahatiha ubhe sukrita duskrite tasmat yogaya yuchyasva yoga karmasu kaushalam. So, endued with that evenness of mind of which it was spoken of in the previous sloka. Buddhi yukta. Endued with that evenness of mind. In this very life, you cast off, one casts off. What he casts off? If you can always maintain that equipoise, the detached way of doing action without hankering for the results, with the idea, it's not the self which is working. The self being projected through the body mind complex has activated that and it is working. The self remains as it is in its own equipoise, never disturbed. So as with the buddhi, I can always remain in that state of tranquility, equipoise. I can cast off in this very life. What? Ubhe, shukrita, dashkriti. Sukriti, dashkriti. All the results of good deeds and evil deeds. Whatever we do, it increases some result. The good deeds will be incurring some good results. The evil deeds will increase some evil results. And that's what we have to experience through. The good results, the evil results, we have to experience in our life and that goes on as if through eternity. All our actions, it'll result, I have to experience that. While experiencing, I accrue new actions, new karma, and that in the future. Again, I have to experience them. It is as if there is no exhaustion of it. It goes on. Are we to go on in this wave of sometime in ecstasy, some time in depression, as if like a helpless, rudderless boat, I'm just carried by the waves of samsara. Is that my destiny? So here the Gita, Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavan says, no, we can transcend it. We can come out of it. If we just change our orientation, it's not that we have to renounce action. The action goes on. Change your orientation. Do it with the Buddhi yoga. Do it with Buddhi Use your intellect. to always remain in that state of equipoise, identified with that state of equipoise, even when the body-mind complex is going on through all its duties and responsibilities. Remain equipoised in that. With that, tasmat. Then what happens? Tasmat yoga. Therefore, strive. If that is possible, then why go on with that old ways of living? if you know that I can overcome the Sukriti and Shkriti, the results of good action and evil action, just by being established in myself, why should I continue with that old way of life where I am constantly chasing after the pleasures of life, trying to enjoy the results of my action? So come out from that mood of living, from that groove, and strive for yoga, what is yoga? Yoga is nothing but karmasu kaushalam. Doing action with skill, with dexterity. The same action we do, but with higher efficiency. How it can be done? So what's the idea? In the sloka, the first idea, as was the traditional way of thinking that no action is 100% good or 100% evil all actions are mixed even when swami vivekananda was delivering lecture in the west he was saying that when i am speaking to you you feel that it's all good but just to continue living constantly within our body the my antigens my antibodies are killing the bacteria Even at that time, the idea was there that he's constantly, so many lives are winking just to sustain myself. That I think all good, it's not possible. Even just a single breath we take and a single breath, a single time we breathe out. So many germs, microbes are constantly has to be killed. That's what he is saying, that even when I'm talking to you, it may be good to you, but the germs, the bacteria, the microbes, thinks me to be the greatest villain, that I am not allowing them to live. Constantly in the life, these two are mixed. There is no way life is possible without the death of someone else, without the annihilation of someone else. Even when I am not physically killing someone, it is the plan of the nature, as in the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, very nicely it has been said, said that ashanaya himrityu, the moment you are hungry, it means death. It means death to someone, somewhere. There may be higher forms of life, lower forms of life. We say that it's better to avoid killing the higher forms of life because they're more conscious. But still, the fact remains, the lower forms of life are also life. They don't want to be annihilated. No one wants to be killed. We may say they don't have that type of uh, uh, what the experience of pain the lower forms of life but actually it is not the fact in this life know for certain that misery is like something which pervades your entire being there cannot be more misery and less misery anyone you ask whereas going for suffering he will say my suffering is intense you may compare and say my suffering is more intense than him or her but he says his suffering is intense. Why it happens? Because all the feelings are like a gas. In a room, when you just uh, inject through a syringe some amount of gas, it won't stay just uh, in one corner of the room. It will spread the entire room. The feelings are like that. It immediately pervades our entire psychophysical existence to make us feel I am miserable. But why we feel that my suffering is more and the other suffering is less? Because always when I'm seeing the other suffering, it is masked. Just the way when someone is hanged, what we do, you will find that practice is the one who is hanged is always his face is covered, is masked with some black cloth. Why it is done? that the reactions that when he's hanged, the painful reactions which will be visible in his face, I shouldn't see it because it affects me. When I say when that the lower forms of life, when they are killed, it is actually not that suffering which enters with the higher forms of life. It is a totally wrong way of understanding because the nature has masked. The one who is going through that pain is the same pain as any form of life. Pain cannot be as we were saying, higher and lower. Even small pain in your life appears to be as if the intense pain, which is which can be compared with any other pain. That's the nature of pain. And what? why we are saying this? That there cannot be any action in this life, which is 100% pure, 100% good, and some action which is 100% evil. Even the crime, the the one criminal who is killing others for getting some money is most probably doing it for some loved one whom he feeds. And that that the feeding a person is always good. Yes, he has uh, resorted to some evil means, but at last there is some love in his heart for some near and dear one whom he wants to feed. So how can you say that action is totally evil? At last, He has some love, with that money he's not only enjoying himself. He goes and that compassion, that altruism is still in him. He goes and tries to relate his love with someone else. So there cannot be any action which is 100% good and 100% evil. And now we know that the result, all the actions is going to yield result. So there cannot be 100% good result 100% bad result, it has to be mixed. And that's how we are going through this life after life. We enjoy whatever is the scriptures say, that the fund, if you're the fund of your good actions are more and the fund of evil actions are less, then first you will enjoy the pain and then you will enjoy the good, the results of your good action. But that also will get exhausted. So, and, and if it's opposite, If good you have done is less and evil more, first you will enjoy the results of your good actions. Sometimes in this life we say that this person has done so much of evil. Apparently it seems he is happier than the one who has done so many good actions. A person who has done a lot of good actions, he sometimes seems to be suffering. But the one who has done evil action seems to be enjoying. Know it for certain. That, what the fund is low, that has to be exhausted first. That, however evil you may do, some good you have done, you will enjoy immediately that. But all the evil actions are waiting for you to be exhausted after that. So, here, all, and when the person has done good, some evil in some way happens through our life, knowingly or unknowingly, he will exhaust that first to enjoy the results of his good action later. Whatever, we are not trying to. Uh, just justify uh, the suffering and all. The, re- the, re- the main thing which we have want to say is that the, all our actions are mixed and the results are also mixed and it goes on as if through eternity. Is there no way out? So here the scripture says, it is not the actions that binds us. It is a hankering of the results which is hidden behind the action that binds us avidya, karma, karma. Because of ignorance, the desire came first. It, I am not eternal as a psychophysical existence, but because of a jnana, something within me says you're eternal. And I try to realize that eternity through my body-mind complex. This attempt to realize the eternity through the body-mind complex is the basis of all karma, all the desires. And that yields in action, that desire that I want to be eternal and this body-mind complex. The desire for that makes me do some action which is favorable to it, avoid some way of life which is harmful to it. So this dvesha abhinivesha, the three factors speaks of the desires. So the entire Karma Yoga, what it says, when you understand that because of your ignorance, all these desires have resulted. Now I can immediately cannot stop the karma, is impossible because the past impulse will force me, even though intellectually I understand that this karma is actually not going to give me any fulfillment. I'm already fulfilled, I just have to retreat, come back from this chase, from this chase for the worldly presence of life, which is a mere hallucination. I understand that, but you cannot stop immediately. That the example which we give that the to understand one thing and to really feeling the understanding and feeling never cooperates with each other. A drug addict knows very well what is harming him, but he cannot leave it. So what's the way out? Just for the drug addict, what they do? they go on reducing the dose of the drug. They never say that to tomorrow itself, you have to leave it because there will be a tremendous withdrawal syndromes. Similarly in the karma, it is going to affect our psychophysical existence, damage us. There is also a withdrawal effect from that if we do it suddenly. What we have to do, we have to get rid of the desires Knowing very well the desires is not going to give me any fulfillment. Let the karma, as per my nature, as per my swadharma, as per my past karma, I have been born in a particular situation of my life that defines my dharma. As per my dharma, as per my inclinations, as per my likings and inclinations, I have chosen a particular way of life. Let me continue with it. But try to get rid of that constant hankering for the results with the idea of seek not, avoid not. I go on doing my actions, fully concentrated, not for the results, but when I'm doing action, I need a focus. What's the focus? To do it perfectly. As in Hindi, then one proverb is When Swami Vivekananda visited Bhavhari Baba, he was a realized soul but he used to do his everyday house, all these activities with full perfection. After he used to do some ritualistic worship and after the ritualistic worship, all the brass utensils, copper utensils, he will cleanse, he will polish them to make them shine. He will take sufficient time to do all those things. Swami Vivekananda was with, was with perplexed that how come he realized so be so much engaged in all these trivial things. He asked him, but you are a realized soul. Why you should spend so much time in all these things? And to this Baba replied, yan sadhan tan That whatever you are doing, forget about all your goals. At that moment to do that thing perfectly is the only goal of life. When, I, when you are polishing the utensils, that's the only goal, forget even God. That gives a tremendous focus and the mind becomes calm. We are so much tired, not because of our physical activities. It's because of the vagaries of the mind. The mind makes us tired, exhausted by pulling us hither and thither constantly. And if even through work, by doing with the idea, yan sadhan tan by remaining focused in the activity, itself forgetting every other goal to do it nicely perfectly that brings a tremendous focus with that you do the action so it is performance based but not result oriented it's performance oriented not result oriented i'm neither seeking i'm neither avoiding i'm continue with my action so this is the way of doing actions with the idea of buddhi yoga and that will bring me to that wonderful equipoise. So what I have done, what I have done is something interesting. I'm doing the same action, the same effort still continues, but the happiness which I wanted to get out of it, if I would have hankered for the result, it would have eluded me, without wanting to enjoy the results of the action when I do it selflessly, It enables me to get identified with the equipoise of the inner core of my being and gives tremendous bliss, tremendous happiness. It's a cash down payment, immediately you get it. Not for the future that I have to do sadhana, spiritual practice for years by closing my eyes, sitting for meditation. I don't know when my mukti will come. It's always future, future. In Karma Yoga, if we can do it with this type of orientation that let's forget about the results whatever my action is at present let me do it perfectly with full focus with full perfection with concentration and there it ends and you won't even you have previously realized that how much joy can emanate out of it live moment by moment and that's why it is called koshalam. Koshalam means dexterity, skill. But when I say uh, anything is skillful, what is the basic definition of skill? The basic definition of skill is how you can get an output with the least effort to get the maximum output. It speaks of efficiency. When I say that an engine is highly efficient, with less fuel, I can get maximum out of it. The car which is we all is we all try to buy is what that the fuel consumption. How less fuel consumption? How many miles, mileage? Better better mileage it gives. That's one of the criteria. Apart from the other comforts and all the thing, the first thing, of course, we go for that. So here also they are speaking of skill. What's the skill? The same action I do. Same effort, but I'm just changing the orientation. There's no extra effort required. I won't have to just sit down and meditate for hours, and I have to go through all those tapas and other things. Go on doing the same thing. Change your orientation. So no extra energy is required, but you get a tremendous output. It opens up the spiritual dimension of your existence. So that's why it is called with skill. But this sloka, if I take the Arjuna's existence, that he is about to take just he's about to take part in that warfare, which will, which is bound to result in a lot of destruction, annihilation. And here he will find that he is wanting to retreat. And this context, Krishna is giving him this instruction. So specifically, if we take this situation, this sloka can be again interpreted interpreted in a, from a different perspective, from another perspective. What's that perspective? Let us now try to understand the word Sukriti, Dushkriti again. What is Sukriti? Good deeds. And Dushkriti, evil deeds. In our life, if I ask anyone that how will you define good deeds and evil deeds? Well, in our Sanskrit scriptures, they speak of two types of swartha, welfare. There is called Veshti swartha and Shamasti swartha. Vyashti means your individual welfare, is Veshti swartha. Shamasti swartha, collective welfare. So the own very plain definition of good deeds and evil deeds, when your individual welfare, the concern for your individual welfare, veshti swarta, is guided by the collective welfare, swarta, that that is good action. But when my individual welfare tramples over, ignores the collective welfare, that is Dushkriti. That's why stealing is a duskriti, killing others is a duskriti. Whatever may be the reason, my individual welfare has become more, so much uh, prominent, I care for nothing for others. So that's why you will find all the laws, rules, regulations are meant meant for to control your veshti swartha, to guide your veshti swartha with the swamaste swartha. That if I have to, when I'm traveling through the road, going to my destination as early as possible is my swarth, is my concern, is my basic need. No one is saying, no, you shouldn't, but at the same time, it shouldn't be at the cost of others. That's why all the traffic rules are there. So if I follow the traffic rules, that is good action. If I'm not following, it is bad action. Why? Because my selfishness is at the cost of others' welfare. That I am trying to go to my destination without taking care of the others. Each and every person have their own interest. I'm not taking care of that. So that is evil. Any, the entire legal system is based on that. Now, there are some situations where we can this law doesn't apply. This law doesn't apply. Again, it is for the Is Again, it is for the swartha We ourselves had made some laws where we can find that the law can be broken, but it is not considered as breaking the law. So here in the case of Arjuna, it's the same situation when just taking our day-to-day example that I I am not in any way I can break the traffic rules. If I break, That is evil action. For that, I will have to pay the price. If I'm following the traffic rules, well, I enjoy uh, the results of my good driving. But there are exceptions. What are the exceptions? If you find some with the the hooter, the ambulance is coming, the fire brigade is coming. Immediately all the traffic, no traffic rule applies. You have to leave way for them the ambulance, the fire brigade, does the, does the fire, does traffic rules apply for them? So they have transcended the so-called, the criteria of good and bad, because of some other concern, again, it's the Samashti concern, which needs to be addressed immediately. Similarly, there's a reason if there is war, I am not, I cannot just simply go and kill person, But if there is a reason for a righteous war, the soldier is not a murderer. He is doing something for the greater welfare of the entire humankind. When a country has been attacked with the sense of being exploiting them, then to stand against that and even to kill the enemies is okay. Arjuna is in that situation that he has been exploited. The thing, the minimum bare necessity of life has been taken away from them. They're the kings. By their own right, they have their, they have their own kingdom. By a false game, it has been taken away. And now when they're just willing to be satisfied only with five villages, nothing else. That five brothers, just keep five villages. And Duryadhana, as a king, he's showing that he's following all the laws. As a king, he has the right over the land. It is he who is going to decide whom to give how much land. And he, out of vengeance, out of uh, this jealousy, what he's saying that I am not going to give even the pinch of soil which you can pick up with the end of a needle, Suchagra Medini. So that's his attitude. If you from the legal point of view, you cannot in any way make uh, just say that Duryodhana is a criminal. What he has done, he has used the law, the law which is meant for the welfare of all. He has used it, bend it, exploited it in such a way that he is just accruing for the results for he's just trying to get the Results for the selfish purpose at the cost of all others. His trampling. And that's the cause of the war. Here, the so now the question of Sukriti Diskrit changes. The moment you orient yourself with the divine plan, Krishna is there to bring back the harmony, the stability in the society. He has tried his best. He has tried his best to. Bring back that stability through peaceful means. It all failed. Repeated attempt it has failed. War was inevitable. There was no other way. So it's the plan of the divine. The Lord, they say that God has infinite patience. He goes through all our pitfalls, our this backslidings. He with patience, he will be waiting. He gives us sufficient chance to come out, overcome that. But if he finds that our intention is wrong, we want to do it for some wrong purpose, that we, sometimes we have a good intention, but our tendencies makes us fall. God is quite happy with it. He will give us again and again the attempt. He will give us chance to again overcome that. But if our intention is to Exploited as I willfully resort to that evil thing, then God's way of action is that it means the destruction for that person. There is no other way. That's why in this world, at last, we find the evil never. The evil never wins. At last, it never wins. Though there may be a temporary triumph, but at last, you find it has to be defeated. The temporary triumph speaks of that in this world the law is that when I endeavor for something I develop the skill for, for something. Now how I use the skill on that depends my destruction or my evolution. So that's why we find in our scriptures are so many examples God is blessing someone for their tapas especially the asuras and many say that why the God blessed blessed an asura. If we have not blessed him, then we could have avoided all the, 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 the wrongdoings which followed after he got the blessing. We say yes, at last uh, uh, the good prevails. At last, the good. But why undue uh, uh, unnecessarily? We go through all those suffering. The thing is, in this life, know it for certain. That when we endeavor for something, that endeavor is going to give you the result. You will be getting the result for it. Now the next question comes, how you use that? When the Asuras through Tapasya got the boon, whatever boon it be, if they use it for the welfare of others, then that will entail their evolution. But if they use that result for destroying others, then again the result is waiting for them. So that's what we find that the sukriti and diskriti has to find its result. So here we find a situation where this war was righteous. There was no other way left out where the peace could prevail. And the war was the situation. It was just like the ambulance and the fire brigade. Now, just a soldier going to the battlefield, thinking of his family, if he retreats, will I say you are doing the good thing? No, he cannot, he cannot, he has to forsake his future for the present. That country is in crisis for that immediately, if it need be, I have to sacrifice my life. The question of my family doesn't come there. So total your criteria for good and evil has changed. The moment you get oriented with some higher ideal. So the moment in my life, I become the divine worker. I am just working as per the will of the divine. And what's the will of the divine? Collective goodness. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to define God in a very nice way, which no one can deny. Unselfishness is God, nothing else. That which speaks of the collective goodness, when I am working for that, I become a divine worker. And then as per my swadharma, as per my swadharma, I, that what I do, I develop the faculty to guide my emotions and feelings with my willpower. Yet a soldier also has his emotions, has his feelings, feelings. He thinks of his child children, thinks of his wife, think of his family but it has to be guided by the willpower. That no, my country comes first. Isn't it, it's the thing that the willpower and that that, again that willpower is guided by some higher ideal. So as a human being, we have that faculty, no other creature has to guide our emotions and feelings with our willpower. The integrity of our life speaks of that, that when, uh, that in all the fields of life you will find what we are doing, we are guiding our emotions and feelings with our willpower. When there is the wedding ceremony, why all those vows are there? It's nowadays, people are sometimes we find that they take it as a ritual. They're not very much interested at what the vows they're taking, but why they were all that uh, this these vows were um, created. Why we take those vows? Because we, as a human being, have the faculty to guide our emotions with our willpower. We have. Why in the weddings peoples are invited? Because when you are taking vow. When you are taking alone, no one knows. The vow, when no one witnesses your vow, that is no vow at all. It has to be witnessed by others. That gives the strength of my willpower. I have already, this is the thing which I have professed, which I have told to all. Now I have to stick to it. That's, that's, that's why that's important. And now throughout my life, my emotions, my feelings should be guided by that, which is for a higher purpose. What's the higher purpose? Marriage is after all for the integrity of the society. We find that the most affected for any disrupted marriage is the children, the future of the society. It is not my whims and my fancies that gets the importance there. The willpower, which is again guided by the divine. What's the divine? The divine is nothing unselfishness, is God, is things of the collective goodness. There, my own whims and fancies, my emotions, my feelings, it's good, but it should be guided by that willpower. To think of the enjoyment's life is not bad unless and until that higher purpose we never try to, we never forget. So that's why of the four Purusharthas which has been spoken of in our scriptures, dharma, artha, kama, moksha, very interesting that they never told that karma, the sensitive pleasures of life is something which you should not pursue. That is also one of the goals. Artha, to earn wealth. They're not saying that to earn wealth is something which, is, which cannot be the goal of life. It's okay, but first comes dharma. That your pursuit for wealth Your pursuit for the sensed pleasures of life should be guided by this dharma. Here comes the question of the willpower, which is attuned to the divine will. With that, I can guide my emotions and feelings. The more I can do that, the more I am happy. You may say, I don't believe in all those things. You may not believe. That if I say I don't believe in gravitation and jump out of a 20-story building thinking I will fly because there is no gravitation, I'm not going to fly. I'm going to crash and die. Whether I believe in all those things or not, it doesn't matter. At last, the laws are the laws. At last, I crash, I die. So as a human being, if we want to maintain an integrated life, a happy life, a prosperous life, the more the faculty which we have, no animals have. Animals are simply guided by their emotions and feelings. We as a human being have that faculty to guide our emotions with the willpower. If I say, don't we want to do it? Okay, at last suffering is going to be the be all and end all of my existence. If I can do that, it will speak of my integrity. My integrity, in turn, the integrity of the society. That's why Sri Ramakrishna used to say that who is a human being? In Bengal, it is called Manush human being is a manush. And he used to break the word manush in his own way. It has no grammatical way of breaking. He used to say manush means man plus hush. Man means values. Man plus hush. And hush means awareness. That as a human being, we are unique. Certain values system we have, which no other creature can have. That's the uniqueness. That's the man. That's the value but sometimes we are not aware of it. There's no hosh, there's no hush of it. Unless I have the awareness of those unique faculties which define me as a human being. I'm not a human being. I may look like a human being. I'm not a human being. For that no one else has to punish me. I myself will be punishing myself for my own actions. So now you will understand that what he's saying that Ubhe shukrite dushkrite, the good and evil actions What's good, what bad. It always turmoils us. Sometimes we don't find it that the real what the what lies in real in what, what in what type of action the real goodness lies or what will enter in real evil. Sometimes we get baffled by it. So here Bhagavan is saying, yukta, with your willpower, attuned to the which is the will of the God, the divine, get attuned to it and then guide your emotions and your feelings, your emotions and try to just have a course of your life in such a way that your willpower is the thing which is guiding your emotions. You are not in any way, your emotions are not transcending that. Know for certain that you can Go beyond the so-called dictums of good and evil, and find an equipoise in life. The life gets more and more integrated. You get an equipoise in life, and there also again karma that this type of action speaks of skill. Yoga karmasu kaushalam That skill. Because <clears throat> otherwise, if I would have not, I have I was just taken away by the immediate results of my actions and my emotions, my feelings take a sway over me, it will lead to the turmoil in my life, chaos in my life. But just by orienting myself with the divine will, the art of performing action by getting established in the divine will, which results in the detachment and which again results in indifference to the success and failure, will bring an equanimity, Samya. So instead of being a puppet in the hands of ignorance, I enjoy the Samya, the samatva, the equipoise. Without any extra effort, the same effort, the same effort that any other worldly person, the effort he is giving for his action, I am also giving but with a changed orientation, the result which I'm getting is far, far superior. It is a subjective feeling, which cannot just be simply advertised. The, all the happiness in this world is just a mere advertisement. It's just like the Facebook, You're in the Facebook uh, makes us pitiable sometimes. Why? Oh, others are so much happy, so happy. All this, my life is so dull, boring because no one will be posting what you do in your day-to-day life. Suppose you go to some a picnic, some excursion, or for some, uh, what you say, to some restaurant to have a good meal. You take a photo and post it there. It's only the pictures of the good moments of your life <coughs> that's being advertised. <clears throat> when I see, I think, oh, he's so happy. We forget, <coughs> it's just the good moments of the life which has been picked chosen and picked and has been posted. No one's life is like that. So it's only a mere advertisement. So the so-called happiness of our life is a mere advertisement. We try to say others I'm happy, but in the bottom, in the core of our being, we find how beggarly we are. And here Bhagawan is asserting, just change the way of life, change the orientation, let the world feel whatever it may feel. It is you. If happiness is a subjective feeling, if happiness is not an advertisement, if it is a subjective feeling, then you will know the real happiness. It is going to be a cash down payment immediately. You will develop that efficiency. Kosharam speaks of that efficiency which we are speaking. You do the same action with a different orientation. So no extra input is required, but there's a qualitative output in the form of your psycho-spiritual well-being. There's the example which we give, that there is a ladder and there are two walls. You can place the ladder to climb the wall and you find a mango tree, which is laden with the fruits. And you hurriedly push the ladder in a wall and climb up to find that the mangoes, the ladders, ripened mangoes are out of your reach. Only after climbing up, you realize if you would have kept the ladder on the other wall, just adjacent wall, that was nearer to the tree, you would have got the mangoes. So the same effort is required to climb up the ladder, same effort is required to keep the ladder on the wall, but we get the mangoes in which wall we have kept the ladder. So that speaks of the orientation. With the proper orientation, the same action, it's not any extra action you're doing, same action, just by the proper orientation, in which while you have kept the ladder, you get the mangoes, you get the fulfillment, the happiness, the joy, which we need in life. And that's the wonderful thing Bhagwan is saying here. So how does action lead to liberation? It's not only the joy, the cash down payment, which we do, which we get instantly after doing an action selflessly. It enters in the final emancipation, liberation, which the scripture speaks of just by doing the karma. It not only gives me the cash down payment when I'm doing the action selflessly. In the long run, ultimately it enters in my liberation. That's the next loka. Karma jang buddhi yuktahi, the 51st loka. Of the second chapter. Karmajang buddhi yuktahi phalam tiaktwa manishinaha janma bandha vineer mukta padam gachantya anamayam gachanti anamayam gachantya anamayam. Karmajang, the wise, the introspective, is being considered as manishi. The one who doesn't do his actions just out of impulse. He's not impulsive. Before each and every action, he's an aware. He's a person of awareness. As in English, that proverb goes, the price of purity is vigilance. The price of purity is vigilance. If you have to be pure, you have to be vigilant. That speaks of Buddhi Yukta, that I am not impulsive. Before every action, I am vigilant enough quite introspective enough wise enough to do it with that evenness with the tranquility of even mind that's why buddhi yukta hi manishina that manishina is a very important word the one who is introspective who is not impulsive is a wise he's of even mind to be an introspective person you have to be of an even mind buddhi yukta he what he does he renounces the fruit of action. Karma jang falang te That we have studied in the previous sloka also. In this sloka what it is speaking, it is speaking of that ultimate the milestone it has been spoken of in the previous sloka. You get the immediate joy. The immediate tranquility. But that tranquility is not just the final goal. The final goal, if you go on in your life's journey by Taking those moments of tranquilities which you get from your selfless action as the milestone at last, it will take you to that, freed from, it will free you from the fetters of birth and death. Janma, Vandha, Vineer, Mukta. From the free from the fetters of this birth. Birth, of course, means death. When you are born, you're dying. Again, you have to be born. So, this cycle of birth and death, you can transcend. How they attain the state that is free from anamaya, the anamaya word is important, free from disease, free from any sort of unpleasantness, anamaya. So you transcend that taking birth itself is a disease. That first the Janmavandha Vinirmukta, this word is important that when we get attuned to the will of the Divine. And we hold on to the ideal just like a mother holds onto the child. You know, this, this righteous war can result in immediate liberation, instant liberation. The scripture speaks of this uh, ashtama, this, uh, following this, uh, what do you see, this yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, there's eight steps they speak of. It's an assiduous journey. Here the God is prophesying that liberation can be much, what is it, the instant, much more instantaneous if you are a real karma yogi. What happens in karma? In this context, first we should remember that what's the criteria for liberation? The criteria for liberation is the dissolution of the ego. Is the ego, this localized consciousness, is the cause of our bondage? To go beyond that is not that we become something. Uh, we become. We are annihilated. We will remember. We will immediately be aware of the fact that we are. But we are something beyond the time, space, causation. Eternally, we exist. It's only because of its reflection that in eternal existence, reflection in this body-mind complex, which entails all the suffering, which entails our limited existence. You have to go beyond that. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, when someone used to ask him, when shall I be free? His answer was, when I, that I within the inverted commas, cease to be. That's limited sense of I cease to be. Now how it can be that all the spiritual practices are designed to get rid of that I. But in karma Yoga when you are working for some high ideal just take the soldier whose country the welfare of the country is the prime this this most priority so when he is ready to sacrifice his life it's just like he's holding onto his ideal just the way the mother holds onto the child you will find if the child is in danger the mother spontaneously, it's not that she has to even uh, use her willpower. She is willing to give away her life to save the child. So when we love the ideal so much, just our ideal has become our children, our son, our daughter. We are as if the parent of the, we are just fostering, nurturing that ideal, you're ready even to sacrifice your life. This limited existence you want to sacrifice, the ego falls off immediately. And it can take you beyond this limited idea of your existence to take you to that final emancipation. That's why that the, you, know, you will find that the result uh, of righteous war, all the result which you yield from the righteous war has always been mentioned in very high terms that it leads to mukti, liberation. Because the ego falls off immediately all the sadhanas, that's why in spiritual journey, constantly we are making a mistake, that we think that the joy which we have from meditation by forsaking all our actions and duties, it's in no way mukti, it's a golden chain. It's a golden chain that the happiness which you get from the meditation, the tranquility is also a chain, you get bound to it. And sometimes, it can be at the cost of others. It's no way entails Mukti. It's a golden chain as Swami Vivekananda used to say golden chain is also a chain, iron chain is also a chain. If We forget in Ramakrishna's life if you study that he is going into Samadhi in this blissful state we forget that through how much turmoil for 12 years he went through. In our spiritual journey, from the day one, we want to enjoy the Samadhi of Ramakrishna. We forget that what all turmoils. the turmoil speaks of the annihilation e- of the ego. For attaining that ideal, I'm ready to even give away my life. When mother was not giving him vision, he went and took the sword of the mother to cut his own head. That what's the use of this life if I cannot see you? It is not that the spiritual practice itself speaks of uh, this liberation, it speaks of your spontaneous will to get rid of the ego is limited identity that immediately speaks of liberation. So, this karmajan buddhi, yukta, when you are doing the action as per your swadharma, based on that divine will, the collective will, where you forego your selfish desires, and then that can result in instantaneous liberation. Vandha Vinir mukta. Anamayam word is very important. That you go free from all disease. This birth itself is a disease. What is disease? Dis-ease. When your ease has gone, you are diseased. When our ease, gets go- when our ease is gone, in our day-to-day life, we will find that when I am healthy, my life, my energy is permeating through the entire body. I'm not aware of any particular part of my body. That's why you find when the child is playing, jumping, frolicking, he gets some cuts and bruises. The child is not aware of that. It's only the mother sees that somehow he has got some cuts and bruises. He scolds the child. Where do you you Where He doesn't know. He was so full of life that the life was percolating through his entire body-mind complex, full of health, full of life vitality. And when we, when we start growing up and now our consciousness gets more and more restricted. I have arthritis. My knees are paining. The entire vitality which was percolating your entire body now gets localized in your knee. There's a heart block. My heart is paining. It has got localized there. That's why your ease has gone. You are diseased. I have a headache. I have a migraine. So what it speaks of a disease that when even in this body or in our body itself, the consciousness is localized. It gets still more localized to your heart, to your brain, to your knees. It is disease. So in spiritual sense, we are all diseased. The non-local consciousness, the moment it fills the need to take birth in that localized psychophysical existence, it is a state of disease. Now just see the Sanskrit words are so beautiful. Anamayam. You go beyond all the disease state, all the this thing which has taken away your ease, you go beyond that. And that is only possible when you go beyond the need to take birth in this physical world, again and again, again and again. You go beyond that. That's why Janma Vandha Vinir Mukta Padam Gacchanti Anamayam. You go to the disease-free state. You, be, you are at ease with yourself. At tranquility, you go beyond this need to be born again and again. So this simple karma, this ashta, this all these eight paths of the yoga, you need not have to follow. It can just take you directly to that liberation. So all the happiness which has been spoken of in the previous sloka, the tranquility, that is the milestone. These milestones, as you follow, you know you're in the correct path. It will take you ultimate to the ultimate liberation, which all the yogis hanker for. So these slokas are so wonderful, which actually makes the idea behind the Karma Yoga so vivid, so clear, so that we get motivated to resort in our life. How much time we will get for meditation, we don't know. The responsibilities of life. may Sometimes even we aspire for meditation, we don't get time. But... This karma yoga anyone can practice with all the responsibilities, with all the burdens which we have. We can just by changing our orientation can practice it in our life and get the results immediately. That's the assertion which Bhagavan is making. The Gita maybe five thousand years old, but its teachings are so relevant today, more relevant than any other time, where we don't find time for any leisurely activities, the, since the social system is such, it has kept us fixed to our, so many types of responsibilities, it goes on changing. Now it is seeing the condition of the grandparents, sometimes I feel there is no vanaprastha. Now that the way they have to take care of the grandchildren, even when they are aged, where do you get leisure, not even in a, advanced age, The social system is such, previously the mothers were housewives, they took care of the children. Now both are working. So as when you grow as an elderly person, now as a grandparent, we find, I find that that's all are so much busy. So when you get the laser, you don't get laser throughout your life, always thinking when I get laser, I will do sadhana. It never comes. The karma yoga is a wonderful yoga. that. If, even if the life is bounded with all the responsibilities, still spirituality is not something which is a far sort of goal. It is within us. Just by changing the orientation, we can lead a highly effective spiritual life. And that's we've spoken of as the koshala, the dexterity, the skill in behind all our actions. So with this, we stop our discussion today. We'll continue with our discussion on the succeeding slokas again in the next class. But however, uh, the next week, the class will remain canceled as we have Buddha Punima celebration. It's in the Ashwood hall uh, that we have already sent the flyers. We all invite you to attend that program. For that, please register. It's just a free event. It's just anyone can just to uh, get an idea of the numbers. We have kept it in the Eventbrite and register so that we can make arrangements as per the number of attendees are concerned. You're all invited to attend that event. Thank you all. Namaskar.